0: Hello, and welcome to the Low-Key Podcast. Now, if you haven't got your Low-Key swag, go get it on www.lowkeypodcast.com. This episode is sponsored by Justin's. Justin's creates a nut butter that's naturally delicious with flavors like maple, honey, vanilla, and my favorite, chocolate. And if you have a sweet tooth, go try their peanut butter cups, which come in white chocolate and dark chocolate. So go to Justin's and get a tasty treat. Now without further ado, EXO roast. It's nice, it's easy, it's low-key. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Low Key. I'm here with Amy from EXO Roast Company.
1: Yeah, EXO Coffee is cool XO too. XO Coffee, yeah.
0: okay.
1: <laughs> In the beginning it was EXO Roast Co, and it had a nice kind of cadence to it, but now we're just sort of going into like just EXO.
0: Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So kind of describe the the coffees that we're drinking right now.
1: This is an El Salvador um, honey process. Okay. Uh, it's our, one of our pour overs. It's been on espresso this week. Um, geez, I feel a little bit put on the spot because I'm also kind of more of a managerial okay. overview, so I'm not one of the roasters, so okay. I can't actually speak a lot to this coffee because I used to do a lot more of that, and now yeah. I don't, because I'm just in a place of many more
0: Yeah, I think that, that plates acts. spinning yeah. right now, so
1: <laughs> I know it's from El Salvador. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's, um...
1: It's a Pacamara. <laughs> yeah. Bean. Uh, yeah, but I used to, yeah I used to have much more intimate because I used to barista. Okay. and you know it used to just my husband's a roaster, so it just used to be the two of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess that happens being an owner. Um, yeah, you 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 take on a lot of belts. Yeah, and then like you go away from the original craft to the business side. I've heard most people go. Yeah, to the business it's side.
1: it's definitely. Um, not to use a coffee pun, it's bittersweet, I guess, because
0: it's <laughs> um,
1: because it's just I mean, I used to do all the tasting notes, so I used to cup a lot more. Um, yeah. It's just a it's a it's a I'm I'm intimate with more of kind of like we do trips to origin and more on that side of things. Okay. Um, but not as much with sweet you know, we have a pretty big array of coffee that comes in. We have a lot of variety and so okay. I just don't have that much. Intimate knowledge of that coffee anymore?
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, you you and your husband started this company,
1: you said. Actually, he started it with his partner. Okay. Um, and one of his best friends, and then another guy in town who we um, who left the company about a year and a half ago. Okay. So um, I kind of came on it. You know, they were roasting for about three years, and then I came into the scene. Um, the first year of the cafe. So okay. the, the cafe's been around for five years, but the okay. company's been around for a few more years than that. So about eight years, eight, nine years. All yeah.
0: right. So kind of, kind of describe the story of XO a little bit. Yeah. Because um, you're married to the guy. Yeah, yeah. He probably yeah. tells you the story all the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's a funny story. It's a kind of a story about origins of... Um, our love for coffee and of place. So mm-hmm. I'm from the Northwest actually. So I'm okay. from Salem, Oregon, oh, lived wow. in Portland, Oregon. And my coffee experience, I mean, it was my first job was as a barista yeah. back in the 90s, like when it <clears throat> all started and everybody was sort of doing snickerdoodle lattes layered in glass mugs. Oh, I didn't even mugs. know snickerdoodle. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> snickerdoodle. Um <laughs> And, you know, I so I worked in coffee houses that regard in the 90s through yeah. high school. And it was a barista and ski bum and barista in Bend, Oregon. And then... Um, Went off to college, was a brisa in college, and then came back to Portland, kind of figuring Mm. out what I was going to do. And I worked for Torre Fazione for a couple of years, which is sort of the, they were bought out by Starbucks. But it was sort of the, it was the quality coffee in Portland before Stumptown and the whole third wave broke. So it was a really Italian-focused, Italian-style coffee shop, but really great quality of mm-hmm. um, both like on the extraction side and also just of the coffee um, so I kind of learned how to a better craft of coffee and a mm-hmm. better appreciation of just making espresso um, and it was in a very high volume as in the Pearl District in Portland so it was a super high volume cafe yeah. so just sort of learned about that and, and you know customer hospitality in a, you know, it was an arts neighborhood, kind of like this one. So just like, how do you get to know your customers? How do you be a neighborhood coffee shop? And then we were sadly bought out by Starbucks and then they just shuttered it right away and I lost my job. So then I moved here and I became a teaching career, which Mm. was my trajectory anyway. And then, um, but all that while in Portland, just appreciating what was happening in the third wave scene, you know, seeing like... Stumptown come on the scene and other places like Ristretto and smaller um, roasters coming on Mm. into Portland. And then, um, yeah, I moved here, began teaching, and then um, it was just a, there was no good coffee here. It was really awful. So I had to ship, (laughs) I shipped Stumptown in. So I would just, and it was actually before coffee subscriptions or any of that stuff. So you couldn't, so I actually just had a friend buy me stump town Coffee and send it to me in the mail. <laughs> and um, and I was like a student and then I was a teacher so coffee is really important to my livelihood. And yeah. um, I would frequent a place called Time Market which is a great
0: I love that if you place. We've been there. Yeah, yeah, and they have
1: multi-roasters on their coffee oh, bar. Yeah, and, and the
0: sandwiches are great.
1: The sandwiches are great. The bread mm. is so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, so the owner of Time Market is one of our he started EXO with my husband and his oh. partner. So Peter Wilkie is one of our early partners um and he's still a really good friend and love and respect him so i i was a big patron of time market because that's where i do all my grading and and i went in one day and the like i got an espresso and it was just totally different
0: yeah
1: and i was like what is going wait what's this this actually tastes like you know it wasn't super dark roasted and it wasn't you know dirty and, you know, mm. all the sort of hallmarks of, you know, well-produced coffee. Anyway, yeah. um, and they were like, oh, yeah, we have the new roaster. And they pointed to Doug, which is now my husband. Yeah. And um, he was also cute, and I was <laughs> single, so that was good. And so I was really excited about just a new roaster in town. So I actually ended up um, just chatting with him, and I knew Peter Wilkie from before and chatting with Doug and chatting with Chris, his partner, and they were just roasting in this like little tin shack outside, actually, um, Mm -hmm. with the probot that we have, and just talked to them, and they all lived in Portland, and so we had this whole connection of the Northwest, Um, and at that point, Doug who has a daughter who's in her twenties was actually still living in Portland and commuting. Like he would come here and roast coffee and then he, he was a professor and go teach his classes and then come back and roast coffee and go teach his classes. Um, so we just had a lot in common, um, around, um, our love for coffee. And, um, so we just kind of got to know each other and then Doug and I started dating and then, uh, At that point, EXO was in the process of getting opened in this neighborhood, and I was really excited about it, because this neighborhood was kind of fallow. There was nothing going on. This was just one empty warehouse. There was nothing. There was no tap and bottles, a bar next to us. There's bars, like, across the street. The whole... I mean, people wouldn't even stop at the stop sign. It was just like... Wow. So, um, I was really excited about just a neighborhood, a new neighborhood coffee shop. And so, I was sort of just involved just a a supporter and then sort of an integral manager left at about six months in and then it was just sort of a um, fight or flight sort of thing like he just needed somebody to help manage the place and I it was funny because when I first moved to Tucson I was like okay no barista jobs like I am not gonna be a barista yeah I'm just gonna work in education and so I had been teaching for like 10 years and I just went back to coffee that's funny yeah I found myself as a barista and then Doug and I I mean it was hilarious so we were like just the two of us basically and then we had like one employee she was like a high school kid I mean it was just really small for a long time yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah because I I see Tucson still continually to grow Mm -hmm. but it's it's still it's kind of a mid-city to me but um I've, I've seen it grow Coffee-wise, yeah, is really cool. I mean, I've I've only lived like 26 years and and haven't lived here in Tucson. And, yeah, but it's really cool to see some of the the places growing.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, so we, yeah, we've known Curtis from Presta since the very beginning. So I we love used that to, guy. yeah, he's great and good friend. And um, we used to, he used to have it used to just be called Stella, and we used to roast our coffee for Stella. Yeah. So then Presta came. I think Cartel was. Just moved from Tempe to here okay. about the time that we opened too. Like, um, but they didn't have two locations, uh, um, so really kind of. I think the coffee scene, the third wave coffee scene, has really emerged in the last five years. Really, it's pretty young still yeah. as a city.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. So, what what motivates you to be in the coffee scene, or what makes you passionate about being in coffee?
1: Yeah. Well, my husband and I share a commonality in a couple ways, Um, but both of us have a background just working internationally, so I um, have done a lot of work with refugees and worked a lot with African refugees, specifically East African refugees, people from Ethiopia, and spent some time in East Africa.
0: That's really cool.
1: And my husband... did his PhD dissertation work in Puebla, Mexico. So he's, he worked actually Whoa. with coffee farmers in um, Puebla and in the 90s. I love saying in the 90s, which is like, <laughs> sh- betrays our age in yeah. the 90s. Um, and so he, his work was really about um, economies in coffee and how the coffee trade affects local economies and indigenous communities okay, in, really in cool. coffee growing regions in Mexico yeah. And so I think we both just have a love for the origin of coffee, where okay. the impact that um, the entire industry has on mm. farmers and what that really means to people in their livelihood and
0: yeah. in their
1: communities. So we've had um, a shared passion and a shared goal of just making better connections with um, places of origin, specifically also Mexico, because Mexico mm. has a lot to offer in terms of their coffee and a lot also to improve upon. And so yeah. um, we've been really committed to that. And so I think that is something that we share um, and keeps us passionate. We also, um, you know, in the last couple of years we've expanded. So we have a Mezcal bar now okay. here too. It's like a secret bar that pops up at, on the weekends. Oh, kind of like a speakeasy? Kind of like a speakeasy, okay. yeah. And, um we, you know, um, we're passionate about Sonora, which is just the state to the south of us. So we go over to Mexico a lot. Okay. And there's um, mezcal that's made there called Bacanora. That's a really special kind of mezcal. And wow. so we're interested also just in basically in the small producer um end of things what kind of how can we support small producers how can we really support because especially in in the coffee world especially in mexico people are just giving they're giving up on it i mean we work with a um community in colima and they have these beautiful plants and they're all they don't prune them they just let them grow overgrow because the coffee plantation or coffee farmers not really plantation but coffee farmers kids just Move to the city they don 't see wow. a need to keep this going anymore, and yeah. the impact of roya in mexico and um, so anyway so if if there's anything that we 're really passionate about it's like how can we find these pockets of people that are passionate about what they do and help promote them in the most direct possible way yeah. you know so that's goes for Miscal and for um, coffee that's neat.
0: yeah it's really. It's really, like, inspiring, too. I, I love, like, hearing um, coffee shops trying to help out, like, smaller um, places or, like, just farms outside of mm-hmm. Yeah. grow and build up and build a relationship with um, the farmers or um, just try to produce better coffee
1: yeah. for mm-hmm. them,
0: for their product and stuff. Yeah,
1: so. because for them, not – I can't speak for everybody, but for this particular community, um, it's easier for them to sell their market to – what's called the sea market or just okay. the commodity market and so rather they don't really there's a lot of there's just been years of um, violated trust and yeah. promises that have been broken and you know so it's a long-term process to come to coffee farmers and say hey if you you know pass through your 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 fields or your areas at certain times of the year you pick only red cherry you process it this way you do all of these things you dry it this way and you come in and tell people what to do they don't trust you because they don't believe it because there's just been so many broken promises over the years so it's about building that kind of relationship with people um and that's what we're trying to do right now so you
0: guys um from what i'm hearing what what is your relationship like with with the farmers or like the the coffee farmers you have what's been your experience so we work
1: with a importer cropped cup I don't know if you know those guys they're out of New York um anyway this really uh their group you know we've traveled to source with different importers over the years and um it's really educational and really informative and you learn a lot as a, a roaster when you travel to source um yeah but with these guys, I guess, um, because of Doug's history, just working specifically with small communities and mm-hmm. um, kind of his history of working with coffees that, or, or coffee farmers that have been impacted in negative ways by the coffee market, yeah. um, we kind of we decided to sort of drill down in this community in Colima, Mexico, which is central Mexico. Um, okay. It's near Guadalajara, and uh-huh. um, it's in a volcanic region, so the coffee... Mm. Is um, is really great. It has potential to be really yeah. great, um, but the um, like I said, a lot of the the farmers, you know, the average coffee farmer globally is sixty years old, and that's just across every region. That's, that's the crazy. average, you know, age. So people are just not staying. They're moving to cities. This goes for everywhere, you know, from rural <laughs> Ethiopia to mm. um, Central America and you know, probably even in Sumatra and those, you know, coffee growing areas, um, especially when, you know, you have, you know, the effects of climate change and yeah, um, the just yields are much lower. So people are just going to, to different places to get work. And so our, 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 um, our goal in Kalima is to help the processing end, to help people really understand um, how to process coffee, how to yeah. dry it, how to um, how to ferment it, slow ferment it, and how to um, pick at the right times and then how to store that coffee too. All of those things, which just improve the coffee to a certain degree. And as roasters, we come there with Crop to Cup as and they're the importers to just say mm-hmm. we will buy. Like, we guarantee that we will buy this much more coffee next year if you do such and such wow. thing to the coffee, you know? And, um, and right now we're actually sort of tasting samples from last year and sorting through lots and of that very specific coffee from Kalima. We also really like the character of Mexican coffee. There's something kind of really great about Mexican yeah. coffee. It's really balanced, um, it's sweet. It's you know kind of earthy it's got a gravitas that I kind of like to it you know
0: yeah I feel like um I've talked to people that are trying to expand towards Mexico and mm-hmm. stuff they said it's really hard to to kind of um bring out the truest flavor mm-hmm. of Mexican coffee yeah but they're trying to like yeah. just get um that extraction and that flavor profile yeah uh,
1: so. and there's some cool stuff like had like last year we cupped a coffee from Guerrero and it was like a natural process it was crazy it was yeah. crazy beautiful it was really cool you know so there's you know different experimental things that people are doing yeah um, that's yeah.
0: really cool what would you what would you say is kind of the biggest struggle that you faced in starting up EXO or do you feel like Doug struggled with, or that you guys feel like you continually struggle with right now hmm
1: only one struggle? I mean, I mean, you can tell me a couple. <laughs> I think the beginning, I think in the beginning in a town like Tucson that um, has just now experienced sort of a renaissance when it comes to food and and, and coffee, in the beginning it was really hard to get people to, um, to just, to, to explain the justification for a cup of coffee that would be three or four dollars. Yeah. That was the biggest thing. And to really talk about to be able to slow down and have a conversation with the customer about why you should be spending that kind of money on coffee and why it's just, um, coffee has been for too long, for far too long, way too cheap. And also way too adulterated. So just, you know, fat, sugar, all the things that Starbucks has sort of done to mask the quality of coffee, just sort of stripping all of that down. Um, and trying to talk people into spending more on it is a challenge, you know. Mm. But with education, um, with good customer service, with being friendly, with being open, you know, not being sort of um, yeah snobby or didactic or talking down yeah. to people, really trying to, um, em- you know, embrace their own thoughts about coffee and not shut them down if they say (laughs) come to you and say I just want a really dark roast you know and Mm -hmm. really not being like we don't do that like just not trying not to ever say we "We don't do that but really saying oh cool you like dark so like what is it that you like about dark roasted coffee do you like how strong it is do you like how it gets you super caffeinate like do you feel like it's caffeinating you know Mm -hmm. like all of those things and trying to understand what the customer really wants and approaching it from that way. It's been yeah, it still is a struggle, you know. And then people come in with their own perceptions. Yeah, they see like brick walls and they see open. It's just so new to them, and so they go, oh, that's it. like. If you look on Yelp, I think it's probably every third coffee shop suffers from this on Yelp, where they're like, okay. such a hipster vibe. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> like, what did we do to get that like hipster vibe? Yeah. Like, so. You know, I think even when people have their perceptions because they're just used to something different yeah. in a coffee house. You know, the sort of second wave vibe of a coffee house is really different than a third wave or fourth wave coffee shop. So, yeah, that was, I, I would say that's the early struggle. But now people are used to it. You know, they don't know what a pour over is um, yeah. and they'll wait for it and they'll pay more for it because they know what they're paying for. Yeah. You know, that's cool. But I think the struggle now, if I could just talk about... That was kind of the early struggle. I think okay. the na- the struggle now is um, the diversification that we've done. Like, so now that we're a coffee roaster and we serve breakfast and we do mezcal and natural wines, it's like, how do we how do we convey to people that we haven't given up on coffee? That, you know, that, like, we haven't jumped some sort of shark and that we just don't care about coffee. Because really what we're trying to show people is that there's just a really beautiful triangulation between farmer-focused food, farmer-focused coffee, and farmer-focused spirits and wine, you know? So we're just trying to sort of, we're trying to promote things that just um, are not about big business. you know?
0: That's really cool. Yeah. So kind of talk about, um, you guys do um, farm-to-table kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, food. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So our breakfasts um, are all supported by local agriculture. So we get everything from farmers. And we work with a guy, um, his company is called Pivot Produce, and it's okay. a food hub. And so instead of getting a truck from whatever local, yeah. you know, truck of food I don't get we don't get any trucks that's what I'm trying to say so we pick up our milk from the co-op we only use organic milk Um, we get all of our produce from local farms and we only use things that are seasonal so if it if spinach is not in season we will not be serving spinach you know Uh Um, and that's actually a pretty big challenge for Tucson because not much is in season (laughs) all the time And then, yeah, we use local eggs and local produce. Yeah. And so we're trying to support farmers on the ground here. And then um, also, yeah, as we sort of work globally with those things with wine and mezcal and coffee.
0: Okay. Um, Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, What would you say is your, or what would you say your want is... For your biggest contribution in the coffee world? Or what do you want to be your biggest contribution?
1: Uh, I want to keep farmers on their land in yeah. Mexico, for sure. You know, yeah. and whether that means that, you know, they're understanding, they're teaching how to prune trees and, and showing their sons how to prune coffee tree, and so it yields actual fruit again, or whether it means, um, you know, if Roya keeps, and other funguses and other, you know, rainfall patterns that are destructive to the future of coffee, if it means um, understanding that new hybrids, like the S1 hybrids, like the, I don't know if you've heard about the Centro Americano, it's a different, it's a new. Uh, rust resistant hybrid no, that's I mean, a hybrid I mean, with um, Arabica strains. So it's high quality, but it's a hybrid. And so whether or not it's, it's kind of the big buzz, was the big buzz at SCAA this year. It was the big okay. takeaway is that, you know, we may not, it, it, it may not be useful to be fighting for these heirloom varieties of coffee anymore. Like, we need to be thinking about the future of the coffee market as a whole and the future of the sort of agronomy and ecology. And introducing hybrids might be the only way to save coffee. And I think people don't actually realize how threatened coffee is on a global scale. You know? So if there's any contribution I could make is to, you know, if it means getting those hybrids and introducing them in a greenhouse to people in Mexico and keep some people on their land, that would be... Yeah, I'd die happy, <laughs> okay. knowing that that happened. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, how have you seen Tucson kind of grow um, in in the coffee world?
1: Well, I think co- coffee and food. So Tucson has I don't know if you know about the UNESCO designation. So it's a UNESCO yeah. food. Um, City of Gastronomy, and it's the only city of Gastronomy in the West or in all of the US. I'm not quite sure, but it's one of the only. Um, so, Tucson has a unique status in that um, it's one of the oldest continuously inhabited agricultural zones oh, really? in America. So the earliest corn, for example, was found right here in Tucson. Some of the earliest corn dates to Tucson um, in this basin that we live in. Yes. It's an extremely um, unique place because of not only that sort of early um, early indigenous agriculture, um, mm. also the introduction of Spanish missionaries, and then all of the traditions, food traditions they brought. To these indigenous communities and that blend of food, but also um, just we have a lot of edible food that are that is indigenous. So, like so, for example, mesquite is a food staple here because people actually grind mesquite pods into flour and eat it. and it goes with a lot of other desert foods as well. So anyway, that's a unique designation that um, the city of Tucson has been working on for a long time. Yeah. And that designation has brought a lot of restaurants to Tucson. That's awesome. And a lot of tourists to Tucson. So I feel like that has helped elevate the coffee scene because you can't really just have... It's it's, it's a city of a lot of sprawl. I mean, I don't know if Tulsa's sprawled out too. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like here and there, like... Different
0: metro areas and stuff like that. Yeah, suburbs everywhere. So
1: yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Western cities, or not quite Western, but you know, <laughs> it's Western to me, I guess. Yeah. But um, Midwest, Midwest, yeah. uh, just you know, it's not a place where there's been a central downtown, and then um, with a lot of historic growth, there's been a lot of historic, you know, raising of the city, basically. And so I feel like things are building back up, and coffee comes along with that. So. Yeah. Um, Definitely great roasters like Presta and um, other smaller roasters, too, that have come up in the scene. I feel like um, larger restaurants and hotels are considering local roasters before they buy, you know, Cisco coffee or whatever. They know that there's yeah. a certain sort of cachet to having good coffee in their fine dining establishments. Um, we have a really big wholesale um, presence, I think, because of restaurants, That's you know, cool. um, sourcing local coffee. We roast for the, our local fire station, mm-hmm. our local fire collection of fire, Tucson firefighters. We roast for them because they decided to um, support local. I also think that, um, I think the coffee shops are the next up. Like places like Time Market. If more places were just open, yeah, that weren't roasters themselves necessarily, but just sourced locally or had multi-roaster approach yeah. um, and good machines. I think that's the next step for Tucson. Okay, hasn't really happened. Yeah.
0: So, I'd like to see like a multi-roaster here. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe. Time Market's the only one and. Yeah, it'd be nice to see, like, a multi-roaster coffee shop on the east side or sort of out in the suburbs, yeah. you know? And so um, there's still, like, I'd say centrally in downtown, Presta, there's Exo, there's Cartel, and people... You know, if I go to Presta or Cartel, it's, like, the same people are in all Olive, that are in Exo. It's, like, these people just go to every coffee shop. Yeah. But it'd be really cool mm-hmm. to see... Um, more of that on the outskirts, I guess, of Tucson. Yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What would you like to see
1: change in the coffee industry? Oh, in the coffee industry yeah. as a whole? <laughs> yeah. Like the coffee industry or the specialty coffee industry? Specialty coffee industry. Um, I'm going to get on, like, a little bit of an environmental high horse here. Okay. And I'm going to go back to... Global coffee awareness. I think that, like, when I went to SEA last year, it's interesting because you go in and there's, like, the top floor Mm. is all of this, like, the competition and all the competitions and all the machines and all of the, like, the cool gadgets. The cool gadgets and all the, you know brand new water towers and revolutionary cold brew machines and all of this stuff, and that's cool. But if you go to the bottom floor and you get into those conference rooms and you're talking to people that actually work for SEAA as agronomists or for Global Coffee Exchange, it's a total different story. And it's really a story about, again, how threatened coffee is by, by global climate change right now. And I just don't think that people know how what a kind of a precipice that we're on if things don't change and they're not going to change I mean rainfall pa- that's what coffee is coffee exists along the equator because of rainfall patterns and and sunshine yeah. and so if you begin to change those things then you're gonna, coffee's only gonna become more and more susceptible to disease. And those, those patterns are changing at a rapid rate, you know? um, So it's hotter, longer. Mm. There's, there's sometimes too much rain or rain at the wrong time um, or not enough rain. And I just think that what I would like to see change in the specialty coffee world is for people to really know that and talk about it more.
0: Yeah.
1: I just feel like it's not brought up. And so, I'm going to sound... Can I cuss on your... Yeah, you can, I'm going to sound like move. a real asshole right now. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to kind of take a stand on it, but, like, I... Like, when you travel to the source and you see... You see these really poor coffee farmers... Yeah. Drying every single bean, every single coffee seed out on a patio. Mm. And, like, the lots are, like, this big... And that's what they've got to sell.
0: Yeah.
1: You don't want to go to a latte art competition anymore because you don't want to see all of that coffee go to waste you know like the what the i think what coffee farmers would feel about a latte art throwdown is just so (laughs) insignificant to the the reality of the struggle that's there Mm. for coffee farmers and so not to say that i I think, like, when I go to barista competitions and I see people competing and um, talking about a coffee, you know, at SEAA, for example, you know, those baristas do have a pretty a pretty keen awareness of the farmers that they're working with. And yeah. I, I think that that has been one thing I've seen develop more is that baristas yeah. are talking about, this is the farm, here's the guy, here's the don or yeah. the donya, and here, like, this is the person who you know, really cultivated this lot or this farm or this milling station or whatever it might be. And I think that that is really good. But I think if we're just wasting that coffee to see what kind of, like, unicorn we can pour into a coffee cup, <laughs> it's really, I just think it's shameful. And so we, yeah. ha- like, it's just, it doesn't square with my values. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's
1: Along with cool. the milk, too. Milk yeah. <laughs> Milk is a, has a tremendous global impact, you know? Yeah. I mean... C O two from cows and overgrazing and all of that and then like we're yeah. like like, I just I don't want to waste milk either you know yeah. you can't waste things in the in the name of, kind of the glorification of local baristas that's where I'm gonna sound like an asshole <laughs>
0: that's okay <laughs>
1: I also think I'd just love to see more women, um, women roasters
0: yeah I'd like to see that too yeah. Um, I think there was there's one owner that I've interviewed in in Denver um, Amethyst and mm-hmm. she owns her own shop and she ro- I mean she's a multi-roaster. Mm-hmm. never doesn't really want to roast coffee but um, owns her own shop and coffee shop. Yeah, and yeah. I, loved it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, more women in um yeah, on that level, I think there's a lot of women that buy coffee. I think there's a lot of women on the back, like on the back end, that, like I think there's a lot of female agronomists. Um, and that's the other thing, agronomists. Um, just having more agronomists work with coffee farmers on the on the level okay. of 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 their farms because it just people just there's a knowledge. I mean, yeah. people young people should know that they could. I mean, I talk to my baristas about this all the time, like. You know, you get burnt out on a certain level in the Brista world, but yeah. you know, if you learned how to speak Spanish, <laughs> and you learned something about coffee agronomy, hydrology, you could have a real job working yeah. internationally. You know, and I'm trying to tell my stepdaughter that all the time because she's interested in Latin American studies. And I'm yeah. Like, you should work in coffee. If I could do things over again, I'd work internationally, hmm. you know, and I would know more about coffee agronomy and I would and know more about, you know, water and, yeah. Because yeah. Really cool. it's, it's going to get rare. It's going to get scary. Coffee, yeah. people have no idea. And if we all lost coffee, do you know, I mean, there'd be pitchforks. It'd be crazy.
0: Yeah. Can
1: you imagine if there was no coffee tomorrow? I mean, it could really start.
0: Yeah, that'd be crazy. A people, war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would be angry all the time too.
1: They'd be so. I mean, could you imagine like a whole <laughs> national coffee withdrawal happening? Oh man! All at once, it's so frightening. Much yeah.
0: Frightening to even imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have any type of favorite brew method at all? Like, for you, that brings the truest. Flavor, uh, flavor. Or
1: expression of coffee. Yeah, yeah um, I really like Chemex. Kind of just classic. Yeah. That's my, I mean, I feel like when I'm trying to taste coffee and try to understand its profile, obviously cupping is the, the best way that you can do it. Um, yeah. But I feel like um, the Chemex method brings out a really balanced expression of the coffee. Yeah. also just love espresso I love a short Americano <laughs> um, but no that's yeah I mean I love pour overs we do batch coffee after four years we finally sort of gave in and mm-hmm. now we do drip coffee but um, I always find it too acidic and too yeah um, just yeah it's just something about the heat and the I think we do a pretty good job with our batch, and I think the technology of batch machines sort of it's reached a little bit of a plateau. And okay. you know, um, I think you can't do better than a pour over or Maybe you know, that. manually yeah. produced coffee.
0: Yeah.
1: Unless you get that like ground zero or whatever those really expensive drip machines are. Yeah, They're, those look cool. They look really cool. <laughs> They're thousands of dollars, so I can't afford that. Yeah. May- but those do make really great badge. But you yeah, know, I like a chemex It's pretty too. Yeah. Invented in the 30s or whatever. It's you know.
0: Yeah.
1: 1930s? I think 1930s or 40s. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's pretty old.
0: Yeah. Mhm. I thought it was just around just recently. No, no. Yeah. My mom
1: used to drink out of a Chemex. Wow. Yeah, like the Woodneck Chemex, yeah. That's crazy. Totally. yeah. I did not know that. It was like a mid-century event- invention. I forget the scientist's name, but it was, yeah. Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, what what advice would you give somebody to um, if they wanted to start a coffee um, roastery or a, a small business?
1: Hmm. Um. Don't take any loans out.
0: Okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah, try to see if you... uh, For small business in general, I would say, you know, focus on open it up, get to get, you know, borrow money from your family or save up or do whatever you can and open up with a really great machine and start there. Um, Take care of your machines, you know, because they're the workhorse of your... So, you know, we both we have a... We have two espresso machines. We used to use a Seneso. Now we use a Marzocco, And mm. we have a gas, gas-fired gas ProBot. And we, they're manual machines. They're like cars. They're like old Toyota pickups, you know. So yeah. we treat them like that. We change their oil. And we, you know, make sure they're full on gas. And we clean them all the time. And um, I think that's the really important thing. I feel like if you open up with, like, a bunch of gadgets and kind of, like, <laughs> doodads, that's great but just don't you know, don't take out a huge SBA loan just to be yeah. able to buy all that stuff, you know, because it's the character of your coffee, it's the attention to detail Susan Charge too, like you know, my husband and I work here every single day, you know like we're not owners that are hands off you know, like yeah. I think being hands on is really important oh. to the quality of a long term business, you know, yeah, be nice if we could like hand off to managers and live in Mexico half the yeah. year we are working towards that but yeah. I but you know like be in charge of your business like be at the helm I would say okay because people like that
0: yeah yeah I, I think like with me like when I see um an owner um working in their shop or um, being able to see them behind the counter, mm-hmm. like doing pour overs and stuff like that. It's really cool because you can see their passion yeah. about what they do and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Those are the really cool. I feel the really cool owners are. Yeah. That to hang out with or talk to.
1: Yeah, and I feel like when you are an owner and you work work side by side with your staff, you have such a better idea of yeah what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when <laughs> I don't do that whoa, what are we doing? It's like this huge game of telephone, you know, like, wait, that's the ratios for pour overs. It's, you know, uh, not to say I don't trust my staff cause I, I love them and I trust them so much. they they do a really good job at taking care of this place. And that's yeah. the other thing I would say to, that's actually a really, really important thing is that your staff is everything. Mm-hmm. So don't settle for turnover, you know, pay them as well as you can. And, um, don't let your baristas just turn over like keep them as long as you can keep your roasters keep your baristas yeah keep them keep them keep you know keep working with them and cuz i feel like turnover is i think that's the death knell of some businesses when you have high turnover yeah because especially when it's a coffee shop you want to come in you want to see your barista you want to like rely on those connections and those you know conversations that yeah. you're gonna have you know somebody's gonna come downstairs and gonna talk to Jim cause he's also awesome a musician in town and they're gonna say how was the show last night you know and yeah. he's gonna know them cause they're a local author whatever you know I think those connections are really important yeah yeah
0: they're they're one of the reasons why I like to come to a coffee shop. Right, I a mean regular and then yeah, and then regularly see same faces. Totally.
1: So. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about. And I think, you know, Presta is has you know done that, and other cartels done that, and so there's just definitely a history of having familiar faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But employees are employees are everything. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how could people? Where are you guys at, and how can people, like, reach out to you guys or see what you guys are
1: doing, and what are your social mediums? Uh, so we're on Instagram, <clears throat> Facebook, for sure, all okay. the time, and um, we don't really tweet. Um, yeah, I feel like Twitter's dying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> president has kept it yeah. going, for sure. Um <laughs> We are on, we have a website, you know, we have lots of events, we have music here, we have okay. tastings and all sorts of things, uh, readings, lectures, so uh, www.exocoffee.com. we also have subscriptions there, so you can, you know, we have a regular subscription service, um, and yeah, we're in downtown Tucson.
0: Okay, Cool.
1: We don't really have a district name, but we're working on a district because this is sort of new. So we're I'll I'll say it here, and then maybe it will become real. Uh, we're we're kind of in what's called the historic warehouse arts district, but we're thinking okay. of changing the name to the railway arts district. That'd be cool, doesn't that sound good? Yeah, because yeah. there's I mean there's a train. railroad right here, yeah. yeah, and so there's all these businesses that sort of skirt the railroad and make this circle. So oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Well,
0: I want to thank you for being on the thank Podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a great time chatting up and hearing yeah. your story, and you've uh, brought to my attention a lot of interesting things. Cool. So well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks
1: for traveling around and yeah. listening to people's stories.
0: Yeah, I hope people come here and drink some coffee.
1: Cool. Thank you so much.
0: All right. See you later.
1: Okay. Bye.
0: <laughs> hey, guys, and thanks again for listening to the Low-Key Podcast. If you're ever in the Tucson area, go try XO Roast. Get a cup of coffee or try some of their breakfast menu items. They're delicious. Also, go follow them on all their social medias. If you subscribe to this podcast, please write a review and give us five stars. It helps us out. Also, if you listen to this podcast and don't subscribe to us, subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, guys, that's it in low-key land. Keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it low-key.